for today's election special. We'll get an overview on some of the key races and issues from Ben Max, executive editor of Gotham Gazette and host of Max Politics on WBAI on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. We'll also speak with Anna Maria Archila, Working Families Party nominee for lieutenant governor, who some observers think could pull off the biggest upset of the night. And we'll hear from Sumathi Kumar, co-chair of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, a group which has emerged as a force in New York politics and is looking today to knock off some more longtime incumbents and double its contingent in the state assembly. We also have reporters in the field who will be bringing you the voices of voters talking about the choices they made. But first, we're going to hear from Ben Max, who I spoke with earlier this afternoon. Great to have you join us for our Election Day special edition of the Independent News Hour on WBAI. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Sure. So let's start with today's biggest race, the Democratic primary for governor. The incumbent, Kathy Hochul, has raised tens of millions of dollars, but has only been scarcely seen on the campaign trail. Can you describe the argument Hochul is making for her candidacy and tell us about the challengers who are running to her right and left? Sure. So, you know, I think one of the things um, at play here, you get it, you know, Hochul being scarcely seen. She has had a, a pretty limited campaign schedule. She's been doing some events, but as the sitting governor, she has this tremendous advantage that and especially with the gubernatorial primary moved to June for the first time in a very long time. She has this tremendous advantage where she's been basically been able to be celebrating uh things in the state budget that was agreed upon in April, and then things agreed upon in the legislative session that followed that ended at the beginning of June. She's been having a steady stream of press conferences and bill signings and funding announcements and so forth that more or less act as a campaign. Um, and, and so she's had that to her advantage in a very big way, as well as the advantage of incumbency uh, in terms of fundraising, where she's just obliterated the field in raising lots and lots of money, uh, especially from wealthy interests here in the last gubernatorial race before a, a new public campaign finance system kicks in. So that's particularly notable as well. She's making a case on a number of fronts. A few of them are that she has given the state a steady hand taking over for Governor Andrew Cuomo, who resigned in disgrace in August of last year, of course, mm -hmm. that she's been able to you know, steady the state through what was then another wave of COVID-19 and through you know, additional vaccination campaigns and surges and so forth, uh, that she's taken action on a number of crises facing the state. And most notably in recent uh, months and weeks, of course, things related to gun control and abortion rights, uh, where she has worked with the legislature to pass a number of things and more happening this week. Um, so those are a few of the highlights. But, you know, she is making a moderate liberal case to, you know, a statewide Democratic electorate that she, you know, is somewhere in seemingly in, in something of a of a sweet spot on a number of issues to the, the broad electorate, although she had a lot of work to do, you know, getting people to get to know her, but that's where those tens of millions of dollars in ads come in handy. Right. And, and <laughs> this, uh, the fundraising she's been doing, uh, I think the last figure I saw was $32 million. Um, but can you just talk about, I mean, there's no doubt she's uh, had a more pleasant personality and a less, uh, belligerent personality than her predecessor Andrew Cuomo, but the the continuing of the of the uh, pay to play culture 
in Albany and just the powers that the governor wields and is able to uh, leverage for fundraising. Uh, and also the fact that the maximum donation is $69,700. I mean, you can rack up money fast if people have reason to give you that much money. Yeah, you know, I think Governor Hochul is is one of uh, one of many Democratic officials who um, might believe in a certain type of reform, but are certainly not going to put those restraints on themselves when they don't have to. And we saw her come into office in August of last year. She knew she had less than a year until the primary that you know was likely going to be hard fought. Uh, there was expectation of Attorney General Letitia James running. She jumped in the bra- race briefly. She obviously would have been extremely formidable. Um, and Hochul, uh, kicked up the fundraising machine very quickly and has basically had a blistering pace, uh, since. And absolutely, it's raised a lot of questions about leveraging her power as governor, uh, and, and basically raising money from everybody and anybody she can to raise, I believe it's over $34 million at this point, uh, really incredible numbers. And she's just continuing to do so. And then in one particular example, that's obviously been the source of a lot of criticism of her. You know, she crafted uh, in secrecy this deal for the new Buffalo Bill Stadium that will include hundreds of millions of dollars in government uh, subsidies. And she did that secretively and then sort of released it just days before a state budget was due. That really turned a lot of legislators off after she had gotten uh, had a number of months of a really good relationship going with legislators who obviously found her a, a breath of fresh air after dealing with uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is notoriously difficult and bullying and, and abusive. Um, but but she really you know sort of spoiled the situation a bit with how she handled the Buffalo Bills deal. She also tried to ram through some criminal justice reforms at, at the last minute. So there was some bloom that came off uh, the rose there. And then more broadly, this this fundraising from wealthy interests uh, and leveraging the the power of the, the governorship, of course, to do it in such a massive way in a short time period has definitely raised some questions. Right. And uh, her two uh, opponents, uh, uh, Jamani Williams uh, running from the left and uh, Congressman uh, Tom Swozy from Long Island uh, running uh, from the right on a on a sort of Eric Adams law and order uh, type message. Uh, can you talk about those two, especially uh, Jamani, who ran uh, a very competitive race against her four years ago for lieutenant governor? Yeah, I'll just quickly say on uh, Congressman Swazi, you know, he's really struggled, I think, to gain a foothold in any lane in the Democratic primary to Hochul's right. You know, he's criticized her a bit on not doing more on rolling back bail reforms and changing, you know, bail reform and dealing with crime more. But I don't think that message has really landed since Hochul is, is clearly more of a centrist than uh than she is a, you know, a further left progressive like Jamani Williams. So Swazi has been running a bit to her right and trying to run on his management credentials, but I think he's had a hard time. Uh, but we'll see what, we'll see what the turnout winds up being. You know, he might do very well in his base of Long Island and, and other suburbs. So that could be interesting. Jamani Williams ran against Hochul, as you said, in 2018, came within about seven points, surprised a lot of people, especially considering that. Um, you know, he was being outspent quite a bit by the Cuomo Hochul machine uh, and their labor allies and so forth. Um, this time around, though, you know, the polling is is surprisingly showing Hochul far uh, ahead of Williams as well, though, you know, there's reason for some at least. And, and Williams has said this, you know, to believe that he'll come in much stronger than the polls have been showing. Um, 
I think, you know, he's he's running clearly to the governor's left on a number of issues, especially things like public safety, health care, housing. He has a pretty extensive platform on a number of issues. Um, He wants to raise taxes on the wealthiest uh, to pay for some of uh, the additional spending that he wants to do. Uh, But I think one thing we're seeing that's interesting here is that there hasn't been this sort of very big coordinated sort of progressive left movement behind Williams's candidacy in New York. And I think there's some obvious reasons why, including that Andrew Cuomo is out of the picture and it's a little bit harder for the left to organize around uh, an anti-Hokel vote than an anti-Cuomo vote. Um, but there's also some uh, reasons to sort of scratch your head on this one because uh, Jamani Williams is lieutenant governor running mate. Anna Maria Archilla has gotten a bunch of endorsements from elected officials who haven't endorsed Jamani Williams. And a lot of that probably has to do with Governor Hochul, uh, again, being less offensive to people than Andrew Cuomo, being the state's first female governor, I think is a big deal to many. Um, and, and that she is the sitting governor that, that people don't want to offend unless they feel like there is a strong chance to win. But it's a very curious situation. In terms you don't of come for the politics. queen unless you can, uh, yeah, yeah if you're going to come for the queen, don't mess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but, but you know, people are endorsing against her chosen lieutenant governor in Antonio Delgado when they endorse Ana Maria Chilla. So there's there's interesting lines being drawn. I just don't know that Jamani Williams and the Working Families Party have really done the work they needed to do to to make this a real big sort of progressive left uh, campaign. Right. And let, let's talk about Ana Maria Archilla for a moment. Sure. Uh, she's running for lieutenant governor, uh, uh, has a background as a, a founder and a leader, at, um, Make the Road New York and the Center for Popular Democracy, uh, immigrant rights groups in, uh, in particular she has a long history with. And some people think uh, she just might be able to pull off the upset tonight. Uh, your thoughts on that and, and how we got into a lieutenant governor's race uh, that uh, has had so many twists and turns. I think it's very much possible. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not a betting person, so I'm not going to bet on anything here. But I think, you know, Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado has been in the position for barely, I don't know, six weeks or so. Um, he's not very well known across the state. Governor Hochul and Lieutenant Governor Delgado have been spending lots of money on the airwaves to get him known, of course. And he's been showing up at many of these events I mentioned that the governor is having on the government side that that help function basically as campaign events. Um, but he's not that well known. And Anna Maria Chilla is a very well known activist on the progressive left and, and has garnered uh, a number of endorsements, including from Congress people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Nidia Velasquez, Jamal Bowman, all three of them, like I was saying, have not endorsed Jamani Williams for governor. I don't know how much of a difference that makes exactly, but it, it definitely, uh, you know, can't hurt Archilla as she's running here against Delgado. And there's a number of other endorsements at play too. Uh, so it, it's an interesting test of the progressive left versus a fairly unknown quantity in uh, Delgado. And then Diana Reyna is running with Tom Swazi. She's a former city council member. I don't think her candidacy, you know, has taken off at all. Um, so our, our chill, I think, has a shot, but it, you know, I don't know how divergent the governor and lieutenant governor votes are going to be. They were somewhat divergent four years ago when Jamani Williams put up a significantly better showing than Cynthia Nixon, but that'll be interesting to see in the results. Right. I think, uh, I think four years ago, Jamani outran uh, Cynthia Nixon by about uh, 12 points. I think that's right. 
um, so, uh, but also speaking with about Anna Maria Archilla uh, and, and AOC for that matter, of course, we have the Supreme Court ruling come down um, overturning Roe versus Wade on Friday. What do you think the impact of that ruling will be uh, uh, on today's primary, but also going forward uh, here in, in New York politics? Well, I think if anything in the primaries, um, you know, potentially fortifies Hulkle some and it probably boosts Archilla some, you know, uh, she, she was fairly well known in, again, in, in sort of intense democratic circles, which is a lot of the people that vote in a primary, of course, um, for, uh, being especially active around the Supreme Court confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh. She uh, famously challenged Senator Jeff Flake in an elevator, which led him to at least slow down the proceedings a little bit. Um, so so that ruling probably boosts um, boosts Hochul a bit and, and probably boosts Archilla a bit. In the in the bigger picture, um, it it certainly helps Democrats in the in the general election. You know, it's already a big uphill lift for Republicans in New York, given the voter enrollment numbers. There's more independents in New York than Republicans. Um, and so this type of ruling where, you know, polling shows that uh, Republicans who are celebrating this ruling are way out of step with the broader electorate. And that's especially true in New York. Um, so, so this is going to be a, a, a boost for Democrats, both in the statewide races here and in a lot of the swing districts for the House of Representatives and the state Senate in the August. Uh, those are in the August primaries and then into the general election for everything in the fall. Right. And, uh, and last of all here, uh, the state assembly, uh, it has its primaries, uh, today as well. It's the lower house of our state legislature which uh, in the past hasn't gotten a, a lot of attention. There's a lot of incumbents there who've uh, uh, gone about their business for, for decades, uh, hardly <laughs> noticed, uh, but that's, uh, that's starting to change. And in particular, the uh, democratic socialists of America are, are targeting several incumbents and as is the working families party. Uh, can you talk about what's going on there? Yeah, without uh, slipping into discussing specific districts because there's many assembly districts, but there is, uh, a very interesting progressive movement to either unseat some Democratic Assembly incumbents or to, to win some open seats that is very interesting to watch and how those outcomes could signify a bit of uh, movement in the Assembly where there is a very longstanding majority, even supermajority of Democrats, uh, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty. Uh, has done a lot to obviously move the state in a, you know, more progressive direction, but he's had a lot of criticism on his left for not going, uh, fast enough on certain issues, especially related to climate and housing and healthcare. And so this slate of candidates is really trying to elevate those issues, especially climate action, um, but also good cause eviction legislation and single payer healthcare, for example. And so these will be very interesting, especially in what we expect to be a very low turnout election here. There's a, there's a decent chance if some of the progressive candidates have, uh, done enough, uh, door knocking and so forth to, to sneak out some wins here. It could be pretty interesting in terms of how the wind's blowing when we see the next legislature in session. And what, what has been the impact over the last couple of cycles we've seen? Uh, uh, both DSA and um, other left insurgents uh, knocking off these incumbents uh, for a New York uh, political class that was used to so long to basically never being challenged 
in, in primaries. Uh, how much of an impact has it had on them and, and just their perception of their invulnerability that they once, uh, once had? Oh, there's been a big shift. Absolutely. I don't think there's too many, uh, incumbents, Democratic incumbents, especially who, feel too comfortable anymore. Uh, you know, this happened with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, shocking the world and, and beating Joe Crowley. That was for a, a house seat, but, um, but that also happened, uh, several times in 2018 in, uh, especially with the independent democratic conference in the New York state Senate, mostly getting obliterated in those primaries that year. Or so, uh, and a number of other instances since. So I think there's a lot of discomfort among incumbents. I think we've seen, uh, the state government clearly moving to the left in recent years, in part uh, as legislators feel the heat on their left and they worry both about responding to their constituents. But, of course, they worry about their next primary election, especially And in, in most districts in New York City. Of course, the primary is really all that matters um, because of the Democrats advantage. So um, you, you see a, a lot of incumbents uh, uh, moving to the left a bit to to try to head those those off. All right, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, Ben Max, the host of Max uh, Politics on Wednesday evenings on WBAI from 5 to 6 p.m. and executive editor of Gotham Gazette. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on our Election Day special. Really happy to do it, John. Thanks. Thank you.